Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Colston. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm all right. So it is March, and that's National Women's History Month, one of my favorite months. It's pretty great. And last year at this time we focused our episode on strong women Mm -hmm. so for this month we decided to focus on strong girls yes it was very fun to prepare for this episode yeah i had a lot of fun too um so i guess we'll go ahead and let all you books and bites listeners out there in on the fun and get started all right Well, my first book is Aru Shah and the End of Time by Rakshani Chokshi, who is an author that also writes fun adult novels, but this particular book is firmly in the middle grade category. Aru Shah is the daughter of a renowned curator and archaeologist, and she and her mom live in the Museum of Ancient Indian Art and Culture in Atlanta. The problem is Aru has a habit of stretching the truth a little bit in an effort to fit in better at her fancy private school. And that bad habit immediately gets her into a heap of trouble. Of course. At the pestering of her classmates, Aru defiantly lights a cursed lamp and releases the sleeper, which causes all kinds of havoc and sets her off on an adventure to set right all of the problems that she's set in motion. I'm sure I'm not alone in identifying with Aru's tendency to avoid the truth when it's difficult or embarrassing, but the great thing about this story is that Aru learns not only how to face the truth, but also how to accept the consequences and do what needs to be done, even if it isn't easy. I really enjoyed listening to this book on a road trip. It's fast-paced and absolutely packed with funny lines or references, and you get to learn a bunch about Hindu mythology. It's the kind of book where you can kind of stop, like lose your attention for a little bit, like get distracted by something on the road, but not lose the storyline. And very often it will bring you back in with a quip or a funny quote or something. Like there were very often times on the road trip where we'd just like all of a sudden be listening again and cracking up laughing because (laughs) it was so funny. Um, This is the first book in a planned quartet, and lucky for anyone who hasn't read it, the second book is due out in April, which is just next month. But I would say be sure to keep a sleeve or two of Oreos on hand to nibble on while you read Arusha and the End of Time. The poor girl gets swept off on her adventure with nothing more than the Spider-Man pajamas on her back, but thankfully, her fellow Pandava sister has a few Oreos stashed away that they can nom on along their path. <laughs> if you want to try your hand at making your own Oreos, Stella Parks' cookbook Brave Tart has a recipe for both the cookies and the cream. Have you tried? I haven't gotten up the bravery to try and make Oreos myself. And it, it's like half bravery, but also half like I don't want to spend the time. Yeah, her her recipes always seem very involved. You really have to commit. They're to them. meticulous. But I feel like anytime I've made a recipe by her, like meticulousness guarantees a good result. Like you mm-hmm. get a good result. But I don't know. If I'm going to make cookies, I'm probably not going to go the extra step to make Oreos <laughs> and then also sandwich them with cream. 
<laughs> Especially when you can, in my case, just buy them and they're already dairy yeah, free. <laughs> exactly. I'm not. I, I'm just gonna go buy them. But there are plenty of folks out there who would who would love to make their own. I'm just not among them. <laughs> So I wanted to start off with a board book that's perfect for our tiniest library patrons, Global Baby Girls by the Global Fund for Children. Each page features a colorful photo of a baby girl from countries all over the world, Peru, China, Liberia, France, the USA, and elsewhere, as well as a short message that celebrates baby girls and all their potential. I have to thank Mary Ellen and the Children's Department for recommending this book to me back when I was looking for board books for my niece. Mary Ellen said that babies love looking at pictures of other babies, and that was certainly true for Rebecca. She loved the book so much that she pretty much chewed it up. If you'd like to pair the book with a bite other than the book itself, you can't go wrong with dry Cheerios whether you eat them from a plastic cup like Rebecca or straight from the box like me. Another Rebecca-approved book is Gator, 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 a picture book by Daniel Bernstrom with illustrations by Fran Preston Gannon. In this book, an African-American girl invites the reader to come along with her on an adventure to find an alligator. The rhyming text is fun to read aloud, with just enough repetition to encourage pre-readers to participate. I love that the little girl in this book lays out the rules, wear your life jacket, don't jump in, but doesn't let her nervousness keep her from riding a boat through the swamp to look for an alligator. The story gets exciting when something bumps the boat. Water's whirring, see it stirring, better start that motor quick. Though the girl races back to land, she doesn't give up her search. As you look for the gator, you'll find lots of different animals in a fun shadow shape game. The illustrations beautifully render the animals and the bayou with bold colors that encourage discovery and discussion. The first time I read this book with my now five-year-old niece, she wanted to go find that gator, gator, gator as soon as we finished reading. We spent the rest of the afternoon looking for pretend alligators in my mother's pool. <laughs> it's nice you had a built-in uh, scavenger hunt right there. <laughs> yeah, built-in activity yeah. after the book. So if your gator search lasts as long as ours did, you'll probably need to pack some provisions. Rebecca recommends bringing applesauce pouches, peanut butter and jelly with the crust cut off, and plenty of goldfish crackers. So when I was looking around for books to recommend for this month's podcast, uh, I knew that I wanted to read George by Alex Gino, partly because I'd heard about it before and partly because I'd seen some great things from the author since it's been published. Um, but then I saw a review that mentioned another book called Gracefully Grayson by Amy Polanski. So I decided to take a look at both and go from there. 
Both books are about young trans girls coming to terms with their gender identities through performances and school plays. George, however, is about a fourth grader, while Gracefully Grayson is about a sixth grader. And as such, Grayson is written for a slightly older crowd. I'm not as accustomed to reading books written for kids younger than about fifth or sixth grade, so I was much more captivated by Polanski's writing and Grayson's story than I was by George. It was just a lot more simplistically written, which is great for that age range, but I'm just not as used to it. Um, But as with many stories about young people, there are also stories about adults and the way they react to conflict, especially when those conflicts concern things that adults think children don't quite understand. Grayson doesn't represent the perfect trans girl, and her story isn't the only story out there, but she is brave and strong in her own ways. If you've never read or learned about transgender folks, it can be a lot to dive into without any context, or if you already perhaps carry around some misconceptions. Gracefully, Grayson doesn't do a lot of education around gender identity, but it does present the story of one girl's experience, and that's valuable in and of itself. So if you would like to learn more about gender identity and the experiences of trans folks and trans kids, please let us know. We have plenty of books that we can recommend. As for what to pair with Gracefully Grayson, I would recommend following the lead of one of Grayson's friend's mom. Take a group of people you like, preferably a group of people you like. Take them out for sushi or some other kind of food that comes in small packages and order strategically and get a bunch of different things to share. Expand your palate with food you might not order yourself and enjoy the company of others who likewise enjoy your company. My next book is Louisiana's Way Home by Kate DeCamillo. This middle grade book begins when 12-year-old Louisiana Elefante's granny wakes her up in the middle of the night to leave their home in central Florida because, quote, the day of reckoning has arrived, end quote. Louisiana's parents, former trapeze artists, are dead, and granny is her guardian. As they cross into Georgia, Granny is hit by a terrible tooth pain that requires emergency dental surgery and recovery at the Goodnight Sleep Tight Motel. Louisiana misses her best friends, Ramey Clark and Beverly Topinski, both of whom appear in DeCamillo's earlier book, Ramey Nightingale, and tries to figure out how to get back home to them and her cat, Archie. While waiting for Granny to heal, Louisiana befriends a neighbor boy, Burke, and begin singing at funerals to pay their motel bill. But then Granny disappears, leaving Louisiana to fend for herself. The character Louisiana Elefante is a cross between Anne of Green Gables, Anne Shirley, and True Grit's Maddie Ross. Like them, she is spunky and dramatic, which is often a hilarious combination. This is a children's book that doesn't shy away from complexity, and DeCamillo allows us to see Louisiana's joy as well as her sadness. Though Louisiana says that she's more the type to be rescued than to rescue, she knows how to survive, how to impose on people, how to smile with all of her teeth. Still, she's a child and she needs adults to care for her. She learns that while some adults will let you down, Others will step in and help you when you need it. 
I listened to this book on audio, and the narrator has excellent comic timing and did a great job with all of the different voices and southern accents. When Granny first speaks after losing all of her teeth, I laughed out loud. <laughs> it just <laughs> never got old to hear her say Louisiana. <laughs> For most of the book, Louisiana subsists on peanuts, stolen snacks from the vote from the motel vending machine, and, when she's lucky, bologna sandwiches. But there is a lovely, tender moment near the end of the book where Louisiana helps Burke's mother bake a marble cake, the first cake that Louisiana has ever made. Bake a marble cake along with them while listening to Louisiana's way home. You might cry into the batter, just like Louisiana, whose, quote, tears of sadness and despair and hope and anger fell directly into the marble cake that had no marbles, unquote. I didn't have time to try baking a marble cake, but I did find a recipe online for vegan marble cake that I'd like to try sometime. It uses the same Depression-era vinegar and baking soda in place of an egg trick that my favorite chocolate cake recipe uses, so I know it's bound to be light and moist enough to please even non-vegans. We'll link to it on our blog. So I'll preface my comments about this next title with a statement about how little I understand about the Marvel world and comic book history in general. Uh, just about everything I know about Marvel I learned from inconsistent watching of various movies at various and not chronological times. Uh, I, I really can't say that I've seen all of any one of the different franchises. There's so many. There's just so much to keep up on. I find the big universe legacy kind of comics to be really intimidating because of how much prior knowledge you need to be able to comprehend what's going on. But G. Willow Wilson's take on Miss Marvel is very accessible. And I love the way that she writes Kamala Khan. So this version of Ms. Marvel is a reboot of the superheroine where Ms. Marvel's powers get passed on to Kamala, who lives in Jersey City, doesn't always follow the plans of her strict Pakistani parents, and is also trying to make it through high school in one piece. She's a great kid who's just trying to do what she thinks is right, even if that means disappointing some people along the way. The plot of the first couple of volumes, which each collect around five issues, uh, the first few of which follow Kamala as she explores her new powers and discovers a villain lurking and plotting right there in Jersey City. The tension between having powers that can be used for good and the damage those efforts can have is constantly a factor, and she has to get advice from all kinds of people to help her navigate her new situation. It's funny and serious, and so many of the panels have little nuggets of clever background nonsense, like the magazine article Kamala has to read for class from Pedantic Monthly called Generation Dumb? Question <laughs> mark. Or, for instance, the bags of fast food from Old McDonald's that is Olmec like the prehistoric Mexican civilization. There's just so many little things. <laughs> I've read them before and then I, I read them again to prepare for this and I, you know, I wasn't quite as swept up by the story because I was a reread. So I kept looking at all of the little background details and noticing all of these funny things. Mm -hmm. um, 
I really like the way it's drawn. I like the writing is funny and quick and she gets a lot done in a very short amount of time. Um, and it's not your average superhero story. She's Muslim and goes to the mosque and talks to the sheikh and her parents are traditional and you know you're you're getting a different story than you usually find in comic books as far as I know I don't read that many comic books so I can't really <laughs> looking looking in from the outside here mm-hmm. um, but I I've found that it is you know it's something that you can just dip into you don't have to have a lot of prior information about a million different characters or even know the back history of Miss Marvel herself uh, a few things get explained along the way and a few things just go over your head and that's okay too mm-hmm. so if like Kamala Khan you're a little overwhelmed by the world take a cue from her and find yourself a good cup of chai or make some yourself everyone makes it a little differently but you can find recipes for a chai masala spice mix and instructions on how to brew it into the perfect cup of tea in Mira Soto's book Made in India next book that's also a comic book series. Excellent. <laughs> and I also don't read very many comics. I think I do need to check out Miss Marvel because it seems very popular with other librarians. And it's so great. <laughs> I'm sorry, it wasn't as effusive in my, my discussion of it, but it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much and I think you would enjoy it too. Yeah. Um, well, the the series I wanted to talk about is Goldie Vance, um, and I read volumes one through two. It's by Hope Larson and Brittany Williams, and it's for teens. And it's perfect for fans of The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which I know you're also a fan of. Except I haven't actually read any of them. Oh, oh okay. No. Well, well, you, you should. We each have some homework to do. We yes. each have some homework. <clears throat> okay, so we'll have to swap. We have to swap comic book series and report back next time. Sounds good. So, 16 year old Marigold Goldie Vance is a valet for the resort in Florida that her father manages. When the house detective has trouble with a case, Goldie signs on to help. Goldie is a strong willed girl who sometimes makes mistakes, but mostly isn't afraid to correct them. Her sidekick, Cheryl, hopes to be an astronaut one day. The writing of the first two volumes includes lots of early 60s details, Russians, NASA, government secrets, a live mermaid show, and fast cars. Oh boy, I'm going to have to get this one too. Yeah. And the art is all candy-colored mid-century deliciousness, and it made me nostalgic for Wikiwachi Springs and Daytona Beach. Though the clothes and cars are decidedly retro, the attitudes toward the diverse cast is not. None of the characters seem bothered by the fact that Goldie's dad is black and her mom white, or that Goldie has a budding relationship with the cool girl in town. It may not be historically accurate, but it's certainly refreshing. And since Goldie has me feeling a little nostalgic for the chart, for the charms of my Floridian childhood, I can think of nothing better to pair it with than my favorite treat from Disney World, the citrus swirl, 
which is available at the Sunshine Tree Terrace in Adventureland. As its name implies, this tasty dessert swirls soft serve vanilla ice cream with frozen orange juice for the perfect contrast of sweet and tart that's just right on a hot day. The last time I went to Disney World, which is well over 10 years ago, before I knew I had a milk allergy, it was so hot that we got citrus swirls a couple of different times during the day. If I ever go back, I know I'm going to be seriously tempted to risk the side effects for just one more. So we've been talking about newer books and newer characters this episode, but I'm curious, did you have any strong girl or women characters from your childhood that were particularly helpful growing up? Well, um, I did. There were, I mean, there were lots of books that were my favorites, depending on how old I was. Um, I think a lot of people know about Anne Shirley from Anne of Green Gables. I mentioned her, but my favorite series by L.M. Mon- Montgomery was actually the Emily series. Um, uh, so if you're a fan of the Anne books and have never read the Emily books, I recommend them. It's a trilogy, and the reason I liked them, she, she also wanted to be a writer like Anne, Um, but it was just, she was just a little bit more of a complex character, I always thought, than Anne was, um, and it was a little more, um, just a little more developed, and I liked that she was a little bit more bad than Anne was. (laughs) Anne's trying so hard to be good. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Anne, Anne, of course, makes mistakes, but they're always, like, unintentional things. Mm -hmm. And Emily is just, you know, she doesn't really, she doesn't care as much what people think of her. Um, So, anyway, I, Emily was was the character that I identify more strongly with. Um, how about you? Well, the when I started thinking about this, the one that came to mind immediately was Meg Murray from A Wrinkle in Time and that series. Um, I ended up reading the third book in that series way more times than I ever read A Wrinkle in Time. Um, it's called A Swiftly Tilting Planet and it's set a few years in the future from when A Wrinkle in Time happens. Um, Meg's actually married at that point and pregnant during the book and Charles Wallace is in high school Um, and it's just a completely different story from Wrinkle in Time Um, and even like I think I only ever read A Wind in the Door like maybe once or twice which is the second book in the series and I never read the the fourth book I just kept reading Swiftly Tilting Planet over and over again Um, (laughs) and I don't know what, it's hard for me to pinpoint like what it is about her character that appealed to me so much. I think it was partially that like being an awkward, very uh, like homely kid, even though I don't, I don't know if I was homely or not. I was a child, <laughs> I um, but you know, sort of growing into yourself and part of that book, that third book is you know her reflecting on her childhood and 
um, the events that happened earlier in her life and how she sort of got to be a, a more confident person and an adult. So maybe I'm not even thinking of a strong girl character, but I don't know. There's something about seeing that evolution in a character that can give you some hope as an awkward 11-year-old that doesn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, definitely. But I think, I don't know, I think there's maybe a misconception of what what does it mean to be strong because the the books I'm more attracted to you know the characters have flaws um and I I think I think when there's a character who is afraid um but still does the strong thing Mm -hmm. yeah and can still get through it I think I think that that still counts as a strong character maybe maybe even more so because if you are just kind of dumbly <laughs> going through the world and aren't afraid then that's not really much of a yeah I, I'm not sure how to finish that sentence but that's not that's it's not, not as that, inspiring yeah or, yeah yeah no I, I see what you mean and I, I think that that does sort of apply to Meg's character, especially if you look at her character at the beginning of Wrinkle in Time through the end of Swiftly Tilting Planet because she's aged, but she's also, you know, come out of these difficult trying situations. And then you get to see her several years later. It's not just like what just happened next. It's how did she continue to live her life and grow up in that context? Um, so I, I, yeah. She's one of my favorites, for <laughs> sure. I didn't read Anne of Green Gables until a couple of years ago, but I think if I had, I, she would have been up there, too. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a, the kid that was out trying to please everybody as much as I could. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to mess up. And if I did, it was it was, it was an accident, and I, and I, <laughs> I hope it's okay. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure it was. <laughs> and it is. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We record in the recording studio at the Jessamine County Public Library. You can find out more about the library and our recording studio on our website at jesspublib.org. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website at doorforadesk.com. 